late in the game in this service. We just had our go and was a time talked about uh, that Greg and Brent and the others talked about during that week. We've done that and now we can move on and do something else. Um, so many of the things that were talked about that, that week are the, are the stuff of our sin and our righteousness in our lives. What I mean by that is they're, they're ongoing challenges for us. Uh, whatever we say yes to God about today, we might, might need to re-say yes to him a month from now or a week from now. And this piece of forgiveness, I, I, the feedback that we got as a staff uh, in the wake of the summit said that there were two key areas that were uh, most pr- profound in people's lives in general, pride and this issue of forgiveness. And Lily, who's the main character in the, no, uh, the, the um, uh, book, The Secret Life of Bees, says this, people in general would rather die than forgive. It's that hard. She says, if God said in plain language, I'm giving you a chance, forgive or die, a lot of people would go ahead and order their coffin. Now that's not a newsflash to most of us. That forgiveness is hard. That's why we don't do it. So painful. It demands so much of it. I want you, in fact, to think right now about the worst thing that was ever done to you. Whether you've forgiven the person or not. Think about the worst thing that was ever done to you. Think about how it made you feel. Think about the thoughts it brought to your mind. Think about the resentment and the bitterness that emerged in the wake of that. Think about the, uh, when you had some private moments where you left your mind run wild. Think about what you thought about doing to the person that did that to you. Why is it that we forbid ourselves to forgive other people? On the one hand, we have, uh, the Bible says that we are created in the image of whom? God. That means that we have a deeply ingrained um, uh, commitment to and sense of justice. We, we, We think it's really important that the world functions on a just basis. And when we are severely wronged or even wronged a little bit, it attacks that deeply ingrained sense of justice. It gets violated when we're betrayed or when we're cheated on or when we're lied about or abused or even abandoned. In World War II in 1942, at the height of the battle uh, for Russia, and these were two previous, uh, previously allies, Nazi Germany and Russia, at the beginning of the war were allies, and then things went south. And it was inevitable. Russia really wanted to dominate the world, and so did Germany. Couldn't both have it those way, that way. And so German, German forces are in Russia uh, battling for city after city, town after town. And if you know anything about the history of that warfare, the atrocities took place left and right on both sides. And an SS officer in the German army by the name of Karl Seidel was there in 1942. And he and uh, his forces were in a Russian uh, town called Nepropetrovsk. Say that three times. 
Nepropetrovsk. And he and his men came, were led into the city square one day where there was a group of Jewish people, about 150 of them, who were being armed, uh, being surrounded by German guards. They were mostly women and children and older men. And so some of the older men were uh, required to carry gasoline into the upper story of a building there in the square. And then when they came out, all of these Jewish people were herded into the building. The door was locked. They waited for some time, and after a while, a truck arrived. And out of the truck uh, were led another 75 or so um, Jewish people. And they, too, were taken into the house. The door was locked. A machine gun was set up across from the door, and then German soldiers went around the house and tossed in grenades, and the house was set on fire. And everybody died either through the fire or jumping out of windows. And a year later, Carl lay on a hospital bed, dying. There was a nurse at the hospital who went to see some of the... um, Jewish prisoners who were on the grounds cleaning up medical waste that day. And she came up to a man by the name of Simon, and she said, Are you a Jew? And he said, Yes. She said, Follow me. She took him into the hospital and took him up to the ward where Carl was and led him into the room, and then she left and closed the door behind her. The man that was laying on the bed was covered with bandages. Uh, Simon couldn't see his face. Uh, the man whispered, come, come closer, come closer. And then he asked him, are you a Jew? Simon said, yes. He said, I want to tell you a story. And he proceeded to tell him the story of what had happened the year before. And then he asked him, will you, as a Jew, forgive me? was quiet, and then Simon turned on his heel, and he walked out the door. And the next day, Carl died. It would be another two years before Simon would be liberated, and the Allies uh, uh, liberated all of the camps, all the concentration camps around Germany. And through those two years, Simon wrestled with whether or not he did the right thing. And in the years to follow, he actually sent out inquiries to um, different people of faith around the world and philosophers, some of them Christians. And in the book, The Sunflower, Simon Weisenthal, who became a a Nazi hunter, he he spent many of his years after World War II chasing down Nazis who got away around the world. He wrote this book, The Sunflower, and he recorded in it the story of his encounter with Carl Seidel, And also the story of the responses that he got from people around the world about whether or not he should have forgiven this man who did such an awful, awful thing. Of the 53 people that he contacted, 16 of them were professing Christians, some clergy, some philosophers, some authors. Some of them Roman Catholics, some of them Protestant. Of the 16 who responded... Only eight of them said, yes, you should have forgiven Carl. The remaining eight were evenly divided between they were uncertain or no, you should not have forgiven this man. Now you think about something that awful 
And imagine maybe your parents or another family member was in that building that day. Would you? Could you? Should you forgive? Those are the kinds of things we're going to wrestle with this morning. A couple main points. The first one is forgiveness is painful. Forgiving is painful. That's not a newsflash to anybody who's ever had to forgive. But then we're going to talk about why it is that people who follow Jesus Christ forgive. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And then the final thing we're going to wrestle with, does that mean we forgive even if someone doesn't apologize, even if someone doesn't repent, even if someone doesn't make a change? Forgiving is painful. So should we forgive? That was the question Simon was asking everyone. And you think about that worst thing that has happened to you, and maybe you haven't forgiven. Do you not forgive because you don't think you should or simply because it's hard? It's interesting. I've done some research in the last month or so and have been surprised to find how little work has been done by the even secular community on on whether or not um, people think you should forgive others who sin against you. There was one survey done of 1,000 Americans back in uh, 2010 by a new age organization called the Fetzer Fetzer Institute. And their results showed 58% of those people surveyed said that you should never forgive for these these offenses, murder, uh, abuse, or any kind of sex crimes, and intentionally committed crimes. And what they meant by that was um, somebody uh, goes out and kills a family of five, intentionally murders them, versus someone who gets drunk and then goes out on a highway and kills a family of five. So intentionally committed crimes. Should never forgive anybody if they do any of those. And then 60% of the people uh, surveyed said you should forgive only if people repent or they apologize or they make things right and they change and so um and there's a lot of reasons why why we instinctively don't forgive when we don't uh one of them being if if i forgive somebody what happens what what happens in the mind of that person when i forgive how how do they view my forgiveness do they think that gives them permission to continue offending me so the woman whose husband cheated on her and she's wrestling with whether or not she's going to forgive the bum. And she wonders, if I say, I forgive you, honey, will, that, will he see that as one? I'm saying that what you did to me is really not that big of a deal. Or two, will he think that I'm kind of giving him permission to continue cheating on, on me? What's it going to say to him? Now, I want to give you three um, forgiveness myths this morning. And remember, I'm trying to speak to you as a follower of Jesus Christ, like many of you are, uh, who believes the word of God, but also has been around long enough to understand at least a little bit of how we think as human beings. Three forgiveness myths. One, forgiveness means that I'm over it. If I forgive John or if I forgive Bailey, if I forgive Heather, it means that I'm conveying to them that I'm over it. It means that I'm conveying to myself I'm over it and I will never be bothered by it again. The pain of that will never surface again. That's a myth. Forgiving someone does not mean I never ever feel the hurt of what was done to me again. 
that I never think about it, that I never kind of wonder, did I really want to forgive that person? Forgiveness is a decision. It's not about I'm emotionally cleansed of this forever. Second forgiveness myth. It means, forgiving means that the offense toward me was really not all that bad. And we're going to talk about Jesus forgiving you and me in a minute. Was the offense against him or against the holy God all that bad? It was worse. Anything we did to God was far worse than anything that's ever been committed here on planet earth against another believer or another unbeliever for that matter. Why? Because we're all all unholy people. And so when folks sin against us, it's unholy people sinning against unholy people. But when we sin against God, it's an unholy person sinning against a holy, righteous, flawless God. So forgiveness does not mean that the offense wasn't that big of a deal, wasn't all that bad. Third myth, forgiveness means that if a crime was committed against me, that I abandon all support for legal recourse. Meaning, if I forgive you and you committed a crime, you stole my stuff, okay? You came to my house, you stole my stuff, and I forgive you, that means that I'm not going to call the police. That means that I don't think you should be arrested, I don't think you should serve jail time or give the stuff back. No, that's not true. You can forgive someone and still believe that in the best interests of society and my neighbors, I should have that person arrested, they should be put away, If you forgive your rapist, that does not mean that your rapist should go scot-free. You can forgive them. You're basically saying, you no longer have a debt owed to me. But you might still have a debt owed to society. I can't forgive you for society's sake. I can only forgive you for my sake. Three possible myths. Now, if if you were, let's say you were a, a college uh, university class in front of me today, and you all look young enough to be in that. So, um, or let, let's say you were a uh, recovery group, and you're going through a lot of life struggles, and so this is, you know, we're kind of talking through some things with you along those lines. In other words, if you are not a Christian group, I approach you this way. I would tell you that it's important for you to forgive because if you don't, you will remain a prisoner. In other words, you're going to have a miserable, miserable life. The bitterness and resentment of what somebody else has done to you is going to keep you a slave. And so you need to forgive this person. You need to forgive that person so that you can have a better life. That's what I would tell you if you're a university, secular university class. That's what I would tell you if you're a recovery group. But since most of the people in this room have said yes to Jesus Christ and you're a disciple of Jesus, that changes how I approach you. In other words, if you were a secular audience, I would basically tell you forgive so that you can go free. But because you are followers of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you forgive because you have been freed. And the difference between the two is enormous, is it not? Let's look at some scriptures. Uh, you can find, well, uh, let's, let me wait. Let's just wait for a minute to go there. I want you to take a trip with me first. And we're going to go um, outside Jerusalem. And we're going to take a look at a cross on a hill called Golgotha. And I want you in your mind's eye to see it all over again. Most of you have read the scriptures enough that you can do that. 
is three, not one cross, but three crosses there. There's a cross over here with a thief or an insurrectionist hanging on it. We're not sure which, and over here the same. And here in the middle is a cross where there's a sign above. It says, King of the Jews. And on it is a man who is held to the cross with spikes, big ones, through his wrists and through his feet. And there's blood streaming down over the vertical piece as well as the cross piece, blood from his wrists and his head and his back that was whipped and from his feet. And he's hanging there dangling because he can't get up anymore, push himself up. And every breath is a difficult one because his body is pressing down so hard on his lungs and he can barely breathe. And as you're walking by, you might wonder what in the world's he doing up there? Maybe if you hadn't followed the history, you hadn't followed the newspapers, you didn't know why the Romans are frequently crucifying people. You don't know what this guy has done. That sign is kind of curious. King of the Jews. But if you knew the backstory, you knew that the whole purpose of that man hanging there was so he could forgive you. In fact, when Jesus came back from the dead, he talked about what he had done. And he says, repentance and the forgiveness of sins is going to be preached throughout the world beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, what I did on that cross, verified by the tomb I came out of alive, means for you, for you, For you, and you and you, that you can be forgiven of all your sins. The little stuff and the really, really nasty stuff that you don't want anybody to know about. And it is on that foundation and those grounds that you and I can forgive the worst of the worst that was ever done to us. All right, now we're going to look at some scripture, starting in Colossians 3, 13. You've probably had conversations with people as well about forgiveness, and it always starts with, but you don't realize what they did to me. And that's probably true. I can't possibly feel the pain and hurt and the agony of the way somebody's betrayed you. It's special. It's special because of what they did to you. It's special because of the surrounding circumstances. It's special because you've never done anything like that to anybody else. It's unique and special to you. But the question really, to a large degree, is going to that you're going to have to wrestle with is whether or not you, f- you forgive solely because you conclude it wasn't that big of a deal or because you conclude it was that big of a deal, but you can forgive because he did. Colossians three, thirteen says, make allowance for each other's faults 
and forgive, what's the next word? Anyone. (laughs) Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you or anyone who sins against you. And then he links it by the word remember with what's about to follow. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You see, your forgiveness of someone is not dependent upon whether or not that offense was small or big. It's not dependent upon whether it was a crime or not a crime. It's dependent upon whether or not you have been forgiven. Have you, child of God, been forgiven? That's where the muscle lies. That's where the power lies. Now I want to look at this negatively for just a minute. Take you to Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 6. Verse 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now that conveys a number of things to us. The top of the list is that Jesus thinks that forgiveness is really really and vital to your life. Jesus thinks that forgiveness is really, really vital to your life. It's such a big deal that if you don't forgive and I don't forgive, God won't forgive us. What's that mean? You lose your salvation? Let's say you got saved in 2014 and everything's going along just wonderfully, hunky-dory. And 2018, March of 2018, somebody did something to you that is unforgivable, inexcusable, unacceptable. And you say, I'm not going to forgive him. Well, you don't say that. That's just kind of the way life has unfolded. But that's what you mean. Does that mean that you lose your salvation Um, what if I told one of my children something like this? Would that mean they stop being my children? No. But would it put a rift between us? Um, Let's let's go this route. Let's say that uh, one of my children stole $1,000 from my drawer. By the way, if you're interested, no, I don't keep $1,000 in my drawer. So don't come looking. Let's say one of my kids sold $1,000. Now, I go to them and um, I say, uh, there's reasons for me to think that you stole all that money from me. Did you? And uh, they own up to it. And I say, well, I want the money back. And say, well, there is this small problem. I already blew it. I don't get the money back. I don't get what I want. They're not, they don't stop being my child. But do you think that puts some sort of tension between us? 
Yeah, it does. And the same thing's going to be true of you and your heavenly father. That's going to put some tension between the two of you. Sin does that. Any kind of sin does that. Husbands, there's a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 that says you better take good care of your wife and you better love her well or your prayers don't get answered. Did you know about that verse? Wives are already writing it down. You don't need to worry about it. They're going to give it to you this afternoon. It's verse 7, ladies. Any kind of sin in our lives, it, it, it puts a rift between us and God, and that's true of forgiveness. It's not that he, big picture, doesn't forgive your sins. Your sins are forgiven fundamentally based on what Jesus did, that cross outside of Jerusalem, not what you do. Praise God. Praise God. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, maybe your track record's better than mine. I am so grateful that it depends on him and not on me. But make no mistake about it. If I refuse to forgive, if you refuse to forgive, there's something between God and I now that is tangible. And if you wonder why you don't have power to do this, that, or the other thing, that might be the cause. My guess is if you are harboring bitterness against somebody that you can look, you can look back in the days since that occurred and you can say, oh, wow, I never put two and two together before. But yeah, there, there, it's been a kind of a, a fog between God and I. I don't seem to be able to connect with him when I pray and read the scriptures. I, I don't really have a desire to serve him like I used to. There's something not right. That's what's not right. It could be any kind of sin, but our focus this morning, forgiveness. Jesus says, this is is going to matter in your relationship with me. It's not going to forgive us if we don't forgive others. Now let's wrestle with this question. Do I forgive even if there is no remorse? Do I forgive even if there's no remorse? And there are some scriptures that seem to suggest that's, that's what... That's what has to happen. Luke chapter 17, beginning verse 3. Second sentence in there says, "If If another believer sins, rebuke that person. And then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns and asks again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. This is Jesus. Uh, we know from other gospel accounts that this is a response to the question Peter asked him. Um, do I, if I need to forgive people, do I, do I forgive just three times? Is that enough? Seven times? Is that enough? And Jesus is responding to a particular question. So on the one hand, he might simply be mirroring back what Peter said, and we know from other gospel accounts that's the case. Or he might be thinking that, that we only forgive when other people ask to be forgiven. One of the people try to make amends. Now, and by the way, Christians, all kinds of Christians disagree about this. And I'm not claiming I have the final word. But here's what's persuasive to me. We're in Luke. Go a couple pages to your right to 23. Luke 23, verse 34. Now, Jesus is hanging on the cross. <clears throat> 
And if you know the gospel accounts, you know that Jesus said there's seven things that are recorded that he said from the cross. This is one of them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Now that might have been about the soldiers that pinned him on the cross. It might have been about Pilate who judged him guilty. Well, he judged him innocent but sent him to the cross anyway. might have been about the Jewish leaders who started the whole mess. Whoever it is he was talking about, it was people who had not made amends. It was people who had not asked forgiveness, who had not apologized, who had not repented and turned. Jesus is asking the Father not to have this sin count against them, despite the fact that they didn't ask forgiveness. There's a similar thing. Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, excuse me, verse 16. Paul says, the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. And then look what he says. May it not be counted against them. May it not be counted against them. Again, Paul is seeking that not only is he forgiving them, but he's seeking that God would forgive them despite any response on their part. Now, we touched on this business of a crime committed against you. I think one of the things that often um, is heaviest in the room when we talk about forgiveness in a mixed company like this is people who have been molested and sexually abused. There are women in this church whom that's true of. There are men in this church for whom that's true. And you don't want to let that go, understandably. Uh, verse 14, same chapter we're in, Second Timothy 4, verse 14. Paul says this, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. The Lord will judge him for what he has done. Do you remember a passage in Romans that says um, that we're not supposed to get even? that God will revenge, God will take care of business ultimately. Every wrong is ultimately going to be righted by God. It's not our job to sort that out. And I think this is, if you have been deeply wounded by something like a sexual abuse, that you can forgive your perpetrator and yet still desire that God would take care of business. See, one of the things that we do when we forgive another human being is we recognize our own unholiness. We acknowledge our own unholiness. We acknowledge our own sinfulness. And even though what they did, we might never do. In God's eyes, it all fits in the same category, right? Now, what the Bible says, James 2.10, if we keep the whole law, yet we stumble in one point, we've become guilty, guilty of it all. In other words, in God's holy eyes, all of us are unholy equally. And so I can forgive you. You can forgive that other person who did something horrific to you without saying, God, you don't. In other words, we can still leave God to take care of business as he sees fit. I, I, after I had given this sermon the, mess, the uh, title, Forbidden Forgiveness, 
I discovered that there is a video game coming out next month by this name, Forbidden Forgiveness. <laughs> Don't get it. Um, it's a psychological horror game. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But my guess is that some of you who have been so deeply hurt feel like the prospect of forgiving that person of that thing is a psychological horror. It's just, it's, it's, it's too awful. But make no mistake about it. God did not set you free so that you could enslave other people. God did not set you free so that you could turn around and enslave other people. Um, there was a 12-year-old boy who was out on his dad's farm throwing rocks one day at their little flock of pet geese. And he threw a too big rock, too precisely, and one of the geese was killed. And he thought, oh man, I'm in trouble now. But then again, there's 21 of them. Dad's not going to miss one. And so he buried one, buried it. Now the problem was he had a sister who happened to see him with a shovel. And after he thought he had the evidence sealed away, his sister came up to him and said, I know what you did. And from now on, you're going to wash the dishes for me. No, brother. Now, you can imagine the surprise of mom and dad when that evening after dinner, 12-year-old son gets up and he starts doing the dishes voluntarily, even though it's not his job. I thought, well, you know, maybe he got saved or something. Next night, same thing. Next night, same thing. Scratching their heads. Finally, one night, dinner's over. Son gets up, and he leaves the room. And uh, it's time to do the dishes, and they look at the daughter. It's, It's her job, and she's wondering where her brother is. She runs out looking for her brother, and she's like, you need to get back in there and do the dishes. I'll tell, I'll tell mom and dad about that goose. And he goes, I already told mom. She forgave me. I'm free again. I'm free again. And God wants you to be free as well as the person who wronged you. And as we close in prayer this morning... If you got through the summit and that forgiveness message and didn't forgive, or if you weren't here and God's speaking to you this morning about forgiving someone, I'm going to pray a prayer on your behalf. You simply pray with me. Let's bow our heads. Father, I almost forgot that I was a sinner. And what was done to me was terrible, terrible, terrible. But now I remember that what I did to you was terrible, terrible, terrible. 
And yet, you sent Jesus to die for me and eradicate not just the worst of my sins, but all of them. And not just the mildest of my sins, but all of them. I don't have the backbone to do it on my own. I don't have the courage. But if you'll give me the grace, I will forgive that person. If I need to talk to them, they know I'm offended, I'll do that. If they don't know, then it'll just be taken care of today. But God, right now, I forgive them. I set them free. And I set myself free. And I also do this as a testimony, as a witness to the power of your forgiveness in me. In Jesus' name, amen.